Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here. We're part of the Harbinger Podcast Network. Fortunately, Christo and I, we, we got through our, our, our little COVID entrapments that happened in our homes. It was tough there for a little bit, but we're, we're doing better. And hopefully everyone that's listening is also safe and, and having, uh, you know, a good time. It's, it's hard out there. Uh, it's hitting people in ways that we did not expect. It certainly is not over. And just to, you know, add a little bit of misery to this misery pie today, Christo and I, we want to talk about the housing market in Canada, specifically in Ontario, because there have been a lot of uh, numbers that have come out in the last week, a lot of extended research that really does paint like kind of a grim picture for people that are likely listening to our voice right now that are just about to enter or hoping to enter the housing market and just like frankly don't have a chance like the, the the likelihood of that happening now based on the numbers that we've seen there's a great story from the toronto star and uh, research from better dwelling that paint like a pretty grim picture uh i think it is important off the bat to kind of put cards on the table that i am a homeowner and i was usually just because of luck like we got we bought the smallest house in guelph four years ago and we spend a lot of money uh, refurbishing it and and, and fin- flipping it so that we could live in it and, you know, that it worked for us. And kind of ironically, today is the four year anniversary of a video game called God of War 4 that I did coverage on that was very successful. And that is like one of the main reasons that I was able to enter the market. It was almost complete luck on so many different moments. It was just, you know, a nice yeah. roll of the dice in so many different moments. And it's interesting because uh, my well, partner, yeah, I, yeah it, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it's, you're right. It, it's so much of it's luck, right? Yeah. Like timing where you live, were your parents able to help you? Mm-hmm. Did you have a lot of student loan debt? based in did your parents help you with that housing student loans both what what have you right the reality is that because house prices are rising so crazily and because wages for the most part again unless you're really lucky or you're in some kind of niche industry but on the aggregate wages are not rising nearly as fast as the house prices if you didn't get in at a certain time like you're you're stuck. It's like it's like you know it's on an escalator where the top half of the escalator is going faster than the <laughs> bottom. Like you can't catch up, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, if if house prices are rising at a certain amount, you'll just never be able to buy them. And so, like, what like Angela McEwen, who uh, you know was a, an NDP candidate in the last federal election, uh, has been an economist for various unions. She had a really great tweet where she's like, this is how like wealth begets wealth. Mm. And this is how inequality happens, right? We're not even just talking about like inequality between billionaires and the rest of us. But it shows here, like going back to the year 2000 until now, basically, um, you know, the median family income in Canada is rising, but extremely slowly and extremely modestly. It's really not that different than it was almost 20 years ago. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, but house prices, while significantly higher than the median family income back in the year 2000, um, you know, median house prices in many places, uh, you know, this is in the basically in the GTA and some of the surrounding areas have almost quintupled. It looks like they've more than quintupled, actually. Yeah, no, so I, if, I got them right yeah, here. We, it, it's it's shocking. Yeah. Like the, the yeah. numbers are from first in the Toronto Star article is that Ontario home prices are 22 and a half times the average disposable income, according to a report from the Oxford Economics released by the Mortgage Professionals of Canada in March. That divide of having this idea of quote unquote disposable income that you need in order to get those down payments cannot be 22 and a half times more. Home prices in Q4 of 2021 up 6%. Annually for the whole year, 25% up from last year, 36% up from 2020. These numbers are just not sustainable because like you said, Christo, we are just not, we're not making enough money to, to match with it. You know, there's a lot more numbers that are even more horrifying. The one that probably scares me the most though, 
of everything that I looked at today was a report from the Toronto Region Board of Trade that said people earning forty to sixty thousand dollars a year, you know, good money, especially if you're in the upper echelon of that. You like that is a living. You work hard. Those are people yeah. like personal support workers, grocery clerks, uh, social workers, nurses, teachers. A large percentage of the population, as of twenty twenty have been priced out of owning a home in Toronto. But these people still live yeah. here. They still work yeah. there. Like, it's not as if you're trying to say these people can't live in our, our city anymore. Like, they're needed. They're, in many ways, the heart of, you know, what makes a great city like Toronto a great city. And they are completely yeah. priced out. And if you can't have a majority of the population that work actual jobs that are needed owning a home then your society is is going to crumble because we said on the show before, Christo, it is so essential that new people get into homes. Like, it's just kind of the way our economy has been built. It's, it's a needed stepping stone to, like you said, building wealth. If you can't do for that. for a lot of people, like, mm-hmm. look, like for a lot of people, it's like the only retirement vehicle they have. And yeah. look, that's that's a problem of our society and how... People don't have a lot of extra income and, you know, maybe we need to encourage people insofar as they can to find alternative forms of savings. But for a lot of people who don't have a workplace pension, which a lot of people don't anymore, certainly not a defined uh, defined benefits one. Right. Yeah. You know, the only sure thing they have, quote unquote, sure thing is to have a house that they can, you know, when they when they want to retire, at least want to downsize, they can sell and then, you know, pocket the profit, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's like, that's what they're looking at. And if you're not able to get on to the property ladder where, you know, you can, you can move up the ladder hypothetically, then you not only, you know, uh, lose your ability to own a home, but you lose that, like the element of wealth savings, right? Yeah. You, you have to pay rent, which in many cases is not cheaper than a mortgage. Yeah. Like we have to outline this, right? Like the, the, the you, you know, Crystal, mortgage, that was my situation. That was my situation. Yeah, I was living our in Toronto. Was, yeah. Was less than what we paid for rent when, when we moved, yeah. <laughs> when we moved from an apartment or ours was slightly more, but we moved from a one bedroom apartment into a, you know, a house, but you know, the, to rent our house. Any, you know, would be more than our mortgage. Yeah. Right? That's how that's landlords so fucking ex- make profit. Like, like the, you know, that's how they make profit. Mm-hmm. They Houses have to usually be rented for more than what a typical mortgage would go for it. Otherwise, you know, profitability would be limited. Right. And yeah. so you, you're right. You have this situation where, you know, if unless you are, a, say, a very high earning couple or you have a lot of family help. You're just, you're just shit out of luck. Like wildly and high like earning, like a hundred K a year each guaranteed. Like that and has yeah, to be it. Yeah. And it, well, and in the GTA, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Kingston's health market is crazy, but that would probably do it in Kingston. But in Toronto, I don't know. Honestly, everything yeah. seems to be a million dollars there. I don't even know if a couple earning 200 K a year will be able to get a house all that quickly. And again, mm-hmm. the prices keep rising. Who knows? Right. Yeah. It, I don't know if you've seen this, but one of my favorite little subgenres on like TikTok or Instagram Live are the comparisons of real estate markets. So they'll have like a, a real estate agent standing outside of a palatial mansion in Texas that yeah. has, you know, tennis courts. I think it was 10 bedrooms. And then you say, this is the house you can get for $875,000, a different real estate agent standing in front of a house in Oshawa. That's like a two bedroom kind of rundown the exact same price. So like when you compare these sort of markets like this, you see how insane it is. And I think for a lot of people, there was an understanding that like, the Simpsons reality that a high school dropout could get a job and take care of three kids and that be the only income. People realize that isn't the case anymore. But our new reality is that even if two people have two very, very good jobs and no kids, they probably can't afford a house either. Like it just, we're changing we are all so Frank much. Grimes. Yeah. We're <laughs> like, look, the problem with Frank, Frank Grimes, like, look, we can get all filled. I think I made a YouTube. You did. I remember that. Yeah. Chris, though. But like, um, you know, like the, the, the issue with Frank Grimes is that he blames another member of the working class. I mean, Homer is obviously in that episode. He's detestable. So like you get it. But like the, the issue is that, you know, he, Frank Grimes never once blames Mr. Burns for the status yeah. quo. He only blames a fellow member of the working class. But in a sense, we are all Frank Grimes 
Simpsons in some ways looking at like the Simpsons universe, right? Mm -hmm. Where Frank Grimes is teleported into this universe and there's lots of homers. Like a lot of people in the town seemingly have very good standards of living on not very high incomes, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are very few truly poor people in Springfield. Um, but like we're all Frank Grimes in that sense, like that 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 is unattainable. Especially anybody that's say young Gen X and yeah. older, right? Yeah. Like uh, you know, uh, is, is is or we're all Frank Grimes. But no, this this situation is absolutely ridiculous, and none of the solutions in the budget are going to fix it. Like none of the solutions. Hold are on, gonna Chris. Fix so it. A first time uh, homebuyer's tax or cre- tax credit isn't going to help. Yeah. No, none of these things, none of these things are going to like, look, I'm sure that you're going to be able to anecdotally find someone who out there is maybe like this isolated program helped me and like, fine on an isolated anecdotal anecdotal level, like good for you. Right. Like, you know, there's, there's the, the, the issue with some of these programs in the budget is that like these additional, like tax, like they're almost like they're new tax free savings accounts, but, but for housing, like these are fine and they will help some people. But they're only going to really help people that were already able to afford a house or were really, really close. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people that it's really going to help are already going to be people with means that maybe don't need help, like rich families and stuff that can afford to give them the money to put in the savings account or, um, you know, people that are, you know, just just right on the edge. But most people. You know, they're not just a couple thousand dollars away from being able to afford a house. That's the problem. Because if they were just a couple thousand dollars away from affording a house, then it would simply be a matter of waiting an extra year or two, which of course isn't ideal. The problem for some people is the housing market is literally physics. It's like physically inaccessible. (laughs) They will never make enough money to be able to afford the house in a lot of, you know, even ostensibly middle-class jobs. Like you say, like certain teachers and stuff may not be able to afford properties. We're not talking about minimum wage jobs. And this is not me defending, of course, uh, minimum wage earners not being able to own property. But it is to say that like jobs that in, in recent Canadian history would almost always come with the ability to own a home yeah. are now it's now is not the case. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there are other things like the bl- ending blind bidding, you know, which will give more price transparency. So real estate agents, I don't believe will be able to lie to you and say, Oh, you know, we have this many offers and that offer is better than yours and blah, blah, blah. You should, you should give us a couple more thousand. These things will help, I suppose, but we have a fundamental issue of like, private property of vacancy yeah to some degree we also have issues of 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 needing to build more but none of the we don't have a solution right now and part Mm. of the issue is that part of the solution not the only solution is that prices have to come down yeah and if prices come down it means homeowners lose money and and which right? political organization is going to propose that? You None. know, like None. it's just it won't and we'll happen. Talk, and let's talk about this now, actually. Yeah, but like, let's look, go into look, it. Look, look, and and look. There's been counterpoints made to this that, like, while that's the perception from the the average person, like the reality is, like, there's a real risk that while your house has this theoretical value, it's not worth anything until you sell it. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be able, like, like, your real estate agent can tell you, oh, your house is worth six, right? But it's not worth six until somebody gives you six right like that's common sense um and if there's uh and you gotta live somewhere else like let's let's yeah and and, yeah exactly (laughs) and you gotta live somewhere else but even let's just take that aside like you gotta live somewhere else let's just say that's not an issue you're gonna go live in the woods or something (laughs) i don't know and you but like you have to still sell your house and if everyone's trying to sell and there's the the property ladder has become junctured a lot of people say that like there's a missing middle that mm-hmm. there is in many places like entry level houses, which are still inaccessible, but are accessible to some. And then you have like, uh, f- like, you know, full fledged family homes, you know, three, four bedroom properties, five bedroom properties. But where's those middle properties that people typically, you know, would need to buy to k- increase their equity further to get to that third property. And if that doesn't exist, there will be a glut of sellers of certain types of property. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so. It might be better in the long run, frankly, even if your house loses theoretical value, um, because you'll actually you'll you'll be more likely to have a non-theoretical buyer. But people don't think of it like that. And right now, people would hear 
that like anything we do, whether it's higher interest rates, whether it's more supply, whether it's more controls on how real estate agents operate, maybe it's more public housing and, and cooperatives, all of these things could at least indirectly lower house prices. And people don't want that. And if you look at whether it's municipal, provincial or federal politics, homeowners are a majority of Canada. Like we're still mm -hmm. the case where like, you know, in certain cities, young people probably can't afford property. But by and large, I believe more than 50 percent of Canadians are homeowners. So mm -hmm. homeowners are a massive block. Um, they vote. more; They're more likely to vote. And in terms of like local politics, they're far more likely to not only vote, but like be be involved right like homeowners yeah. associations and neighborhood associations are often dominated in, in many cases by homeowners right here in kingston that's often the case there are certain neighborhoods where the homeowners associate like the neighborhood association runs the show and that's run by homeowners in the neighborhood right hmm. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and so we're not gonna so i don't know how we solve it and like yeah. look we talked about this one thing that unites all parties uh in this country is that they all have landlords in their caucus, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's the yeah. Passion do, that unites them all. <laughs> do right? you want to go into is, that? Because yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I had well, no because, idea. Well, because yeah, because if you think about and look, I get it that like almost any industry is represented in parliament, and you know you could say like, you know, parliamentarians at times are sometimes able to separate themselves from their industry, blah blah blah. But like there are there are at least a few dozen members of the federal uh, government uh, from all four main parties that are landlords, right? Oh, Global oh. has a, a thing here. There, there uh, is more than uh, a few dozen, my yeah. friend, that are, are yeah. landlords. So there's a great, you, you sent this to me earlier, and it's a phenomenal piece from Passage that, that yeah, there's looks global, at. Well, Global data here. Global, the yeah. base, I, I think Passage goes deeper, but Global just put this out today. The, the Passage data is a little bit older. But this says that currently 42 Liberals in Parliament, 19 Conservatives, 2 Bloc, and 2 NDP are landlords. 91% say they're undeclared, haven't declared a status or what have you. Um, but that means that you know, a good chunk of parliament mm -hmm. is our, 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 our landlords, including 12 cabinet ministers and, you know, cabinet ministers by and large really make the decisions, right? Like if you mm -hmm. want to look at the, the most powerful people, it's the people in cabinet. Um, and so it's a real sign that, you know, uh, not that it's equal between all the parties, of course, but that there are landlords are a, and property owners and homeowners are a, influential constituency in every main Canadian party. Mm -hmm. So even in the NDP, a good chunk of NDP activists and voters and donors own homes, including, including, including myself, right? Including, yeah. you know, you know, we, I own a home, um, you know, and um, I'm ideological enough to like say, fuck it. Let my house price fall 20, 30%. I do not care. Yeah. But like, I don't know how many NDP voters are that like ideological and really they're just looking after their own pocketbook to some degree mm -hmm. and they don't want to see their house price fall that much. And that includes people who are literally landlords, but it gets worse than that, right? Like Andy, you said the passage data oh, man. is more explicit, which is a little bit to be fair. We should say some, I believe it's a year old. Okay. So like, for instance, I know that it says three NDP MPs, but that's because Jack Harris retired. So now it's only two, but like it's 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 pretty decently up to date. Yeah, because like you're saying yeah. here, and I think it, it's important to note that maybe the solution, and we have a lot of great questions from our Discord community on this that's really getting on fire with it, but maybe the solution is to make the job, quote unquote, of landlord not a job anymore. And of this information that's available through Passage, they believe that more than a quarter of all current MPs in Canada, 88 meet the qualification of a landlord. And if a quarter of the people that are making these choices would... I mean, that's a big deal, right? They're not like, going to give up their income base or and the income yeah. base of so many other Canadians that are representative, but it does seem like we do need to change this designation. Like, this has been a story that's gone on for a while now, but remember a couple weeks ago, that, that horrible douchebag that was on CNN and I think 60 Minutes, he owned like 30,000 different properties yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. in Toronto and Ontario and like that... 
can't be allowed when it requires 22 and a half times more the disposable income of average Ontarians to own a home if one person has 30,000. Like that that has to be a bigger reason why it's not working than almost any other solution that's being brought out by government officials. And maybe now is a good time. You know, what what do you think the second highest uh, ranking Canadian politician, Chrystia Friedland, has to say about this? Well, she spoke on this a little while ago. So so let's hear from her. Our problem with housing in Canada is we just don't have enough housing. It's just a mathematical thing. Canada has the fastest growing population in the G7. That is fantastic. That is actually a huge driver of economic growth and it is one of Canada's competitive advantages. But we cannot have the fastest growing population in the G7 without also having the fastest growing housing stock in the G7. And we don't have that right now. We have a shortage of homes. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's that persuasive. (laughs) She owns property as well. She owns income property in one of the fanciest uh, area codes in London, um, um, UK, which was discovered as well. Like this, it kind of, it's kind of galling a little bit. She doesn't say it outright, but there's a, a question there that maybe... It's new immigrants that are the problem. Like I don't know if it's that direct, but it does yeah, seem like she's saying she's saying it's like the high rising population in Canada's population is rising highly, not because of our birth rate, of course, but because of immigration. Canada does take, and I think this is, you know, largely something I support. But Canada, per its population, has a high rate of immigrant acceptance, and I believe last year was Canada's highest number in raw in raw numbers. Yeah. Uh, acceptance of immigrants since the very early 1900s, when, of course, Canada was, you know, just accepting basically every white person that wanted to come <laughs> here, just without, like, just without question. Like, yeah. Are you white? Welcome to Canada, right? Just, like, come <laughs> off the boat, right? And so this is the, 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 the one of the biggest years we've had in a really long time. But, yeah, Freeland's up. And, look, NDPers are on these lists, too. Yeah. And, look, to be fair, we don't always know because like, and I'm not trying to defend landlordism because I think, you know, there's even a thing that say even, you know, owning one income property is still exploitative. We don't know if everybody on this list owns like six apartment buildings or yeah. if they own two houses and they rent one of the houses out or even if they own a, you know, a, a, a uh, in-law suite type thing on the, on their house and they rent out that one bedroom. Yeah. But yeah, look here in Ontario, I mean, we have one two three four five six i believe at least six seven members of the ontario ndp caucus are listed as uh landlords now this again might be a little up to date there might be more there might be less but it does include at least as of uh you know 20 21 uh, 21 when this was written uh march 2021 about a year ago now uh andrea horwath the leader of the ontario ndp is a landlord as is the leader of the uh previous leader of the the liberals um, you know, uh, Kathleen Wynne. I don't know if Del Duca is a landlord. He wasn't in the legislature at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, I don't. It doesn't say Doug Ford's a landlord. I don't, I don't see I it here. But but I imagine yeah, someone in his family is. Let's put it that way. There, there's no chance but, you know, that he is like big names here, right? Big names, big names in the in the Conservative Party. They well. really are bringing people together, isn't it? It's fascinating that yeah. this is one of those issues, like you said, one of these things that uh, cuts across all political persuasion. The idea that if you have. an income property that you should make money off of it. It's all the speculative asset bullshit that's kind of destroying our economy. Everyone seems to have it. And, you know, you were being very, I think, gracious there, Christo, of like, I don't know if it's the own big apartment building, something like that. But I I think this problem is so severe. Like we we related to things like climate change. Even if you have one, maybe that's too much. Like, I I don't know. No, 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 100%. No, but it's just because like people are like, some people say, well, what is a landlord? Is it literally anyone that rents anything out? Uh, my, 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 My definition is yes. If you rent out your property for profit, you're you're a landlord. But um, in, 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 you know, it's also the case that, you know, there is a difference between owning one property and owning yeah. 30,000, much like how we criticize the millionaire class. But the billionaire class is something distinct in many ways. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah there's yeah. a difference between Bezos and, um, you know, Ford's rich buddies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference between those guys. Right. Um, yeah. But but um, yeah, everywhere you go. 
um, where they give the data. There are there are people from all all the, all sorts of parties, and then you know that's just that's the reality. I mean, even here it says the Greens. Elizabeth May is listed here as owning rental property. She wasn't in the global data. Maybe that's not updated, but it's basically even every single party mm-hmm. has a landlord in it. I'm trying to think besides having a lawyer in every single <laughs> caucus, you know, cause lawyers are very prevalent yeah. in, in elected office besides having a lawyer in every caucus. I don't know if there's something really in terms of profession yeah. That's found in every single caucus. It's just it's you that know? quote that you you said at the beginning. Like it really just is the tool now for holding on to wealth. So of course, you know, the politicians that are coming from circles where they can be politicians, you know, where they have the opportunities to do so, would be a cut of our population that have wealth. And and what do we know about the data here that it's becoming ever more impossible for the people that need to get into the market to get in. So I think it's a good opportunity now to try to answer some of these questions that we got. Uh, and again, if you want to send us a question, uh, patreon.com slash left turn Canada, one buck a month will be enough. We just want to get people into our little community here. And we got a whole bunch from uh, a few people, but I'm kind of doing an amalgam here of, of some of the top. The first one from Nick Kennedy is the question of uh, housing rights. So the, the idea that our yeah. housing market is in shambles, all parties, the ONPD, ONDP, excuse me, seems to focus on letting more people own land slash property rather than changing the narrative slash landscape yeah. that maybe yeah. we need to stop allowing profit from land full stop. How come is there any sort of value response that you can think of that elected politicians have here in Canada? Is there anything Man. good? That you, and it's a little on the spot, but like I, yeah. I just I feel like people don't push. No politician in Canada is pushing the envelope enough for what we actually need to get young people into homes. You know, like I, I don't really yeah. know. Can you think of anything that that comes to mind? I mean, there have been calls from say certain left NDP figures across the country about like massively expanding public and cooperative housing, right? To okay. build housing that is explicitly outside of the profit motive but that that it's still the case that i haven't seen any major politician really question the 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 the, the cult of home ownership yeah and look i'm a member of that cult too yeah, right like too. it really it's like most canadians want to own a home they either do and they're happy that they own it or they don't, but they want to either now or at some point in the future. Yeah. And so I think that a politician saying the real solution is that we need to like take away private ownership of homes. I don't know if that's uh, politically palatable. And I don't mm. think anyone's making that argument. And so I think because a lot of people want to push this idea that like we want you and your kids to have a better life. And in Canada, one of the things that's a marker of having a good or better life is property ownership. Mm-hmm. There's very little challenge there, right? And so it's it becomes difficult when some of the solutions, at least, I, I think have to be, we need to stop seeing housing as an asset and, and housing as an actual, like, good that people need, yeah. right? Like, people need a places to live and not simply things to own, which they will later sell. And like the living in it is like a byproduct rather than the point, (laughs) right? I I wonder if there's like a limit, if people would support even a limit on the definition of quote unquote landlord, like we spoke about before, like maybe that would be an easier sell of like a five property limit or some random arguable number that's less than, you know, something that could be damaging because, you know, I I think there's also data that came out in the last several months that said almost half of the homes that are in Toronto, including apartments, are empty because they are speculative like assets just for people to park money in. So like people are trying to fight that. But do you think that would have success or would is it still too much of a threat to this institution of that would be where you would need to go? Right. Like, I think like you would need to you know, make the argument. And historically, this has been an argument been made by the left. I mean, even, uh, and I remember this from my research, Pierre Trudeau during his like student days uh, where he was, you know, at least uh, still kind of philosophically liberal, but more, 
you know, intertwined, at least in his personal relationship with like CCFers, right? Mm-hmm. He said in many ways, you know, the, 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 the small L liberals love private property. But we also realize that the system doesn't work when many people don't have private property. Yeah. <laughs> and socialism in many ways is good because it, exp- like, you know, or social democracy, elements of socialism, because it can expand ownership. It can d- it diffuse ownership. More people owning something, like owning property, you know, in that very capitalist sense, in that very liberal democratic sense, the property owner. Right now, you're creating a scenario where it's more and more difficult for anyone to be that property owner because of the conglomeration of land, uh, of, of property, and because of the rising costs and all of those sorts of things. You could make the argument that, you know, by challenging big developers, by challenging vacant properties, uh, by doing these sorts of things, maybe you could find a way to say, you know, our goal is to democratize the housing market by ensuring that more people control less of it. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's yeah. like, you know, maybe maybe that is the way forward, because I think a direct challenge to home ownership in Canada isn't going to be popular. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people want to be homeowners in some way. Um, uh, and so, yeah. I, maybe that's the way to do it. I mean, Berlin passed a uh, remember they passed a, a reform mm-hmm. uh, back in 2021, I believe, where the uh, voters in Berlin want the city to expropriate hundreds of thousands of apartments to stop speculation by big property developers. Now, of course, we don't know if this is all ultimately going to happen. Uh, it's very complicated. They have constitutional issues like we do. But I do think that, like, you know, uh, the reality is that, like, if we could find a way to... Um, expropriate or uh, through disincentivizing taxes, uh, force people to sell off vacant properties, uh, tax landlords, remove certain advantages that landlords have. Say, for instance, um, you know, remove the tax. Uh, I know for for, for business uh, landlord, people who like rent out commercial properties, I believe that when your property isn't being rented out, you can like deduct that from your taxes and stuff. And like as a business loss in a sense, because, you know, as a business, you can deduct your losses. That's probably reasonable in some cases, but it has the perverse effect where the government is subsidizing a property that isn't being rented out. When in reality, maybe you could uh, that you could see lower rental prices and things like that if companies were forced to weren't uh, partially incentivized to let a property sit unrented because they can deduct something from their taxes. If you remove deductions like that, maybe you can do it. You know, these sorts of things could be useful in some ways, but I don't know if that's the answer, Mm. right? Like ultimately, I think we're in a weird position where the answer is clearly uh, massive increases in public ownership, massive increases in cooperative ownership. Uh, you know, community ownership of housing, things like that. But I don't know if there's a political will from any party to do it. There isn't right now. I guarantee you from any yeah. mainstream political party in Canada, no NDP is 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 like wants to really overhaul housing. Um, and uh, I don't know if the voters want that. I don't know. Because voters like, want oh, more man. accessible, affordable housing. But do they really want it? Do they really actually want that if it means the value of their homes decline? I wonder if just the severity of this increase, because if you look at the numbers, it is, you know, in the past five years. Absurd. And Canada, again, guys, Canada is not unique to the fact that our housing market is bonkers, because that's really like in many places across the the Western world, not even in many developing countries. They're like the big cities in developing countries. You've seen these sorts mm-hmm. of crazy price rises as well. Um, and the same issues there where like the middle classes of these developing countries can't afford to live in some of the big cities anymore. It's a whole issues. But Canada's prices uh, are, are are bonkers in relation to other G7, G20 countries. Oh, 100%. dude, one of my favorite, yeah. uh, I mentioned this before, the uh, cheesy little TikToks that talks about real estate yeah. uh, speculation is a home right now, a beautiful home in LA, you know, the center of entertainment, the, yeah. the best weather that happens all year. You know, it's where people want to live. $900,000 for like a terracotta roof home. Absolutely beautiful. That is the same average price for a home in Aurelia. And Aurelia is yeah. nice, but Aurelia yeah, for, has yeah. 
like a little casino and the joke goes for Tim Hortons franchises in Aurelia. Like it just, it doesn't make sense that it's like this. And I think for a lot of people, the sacrifices, you know, 10 years ago, the sacrifices that you did make were leaving the city that you love or grew up in. Maybe it is Toronto or bigger city and going to live in a smaller city in the GTA or just outside of it. You're going to live in Hamilton, in our case, Guelph, you know, maybe Oshawa so that you can, you know, create something that is quote unquote wealth so that you can maybe retire one day. But even now that isn't a reality for Canadians, especially young Ontarians that have lived their entire life in Toronto. They have to go. I think the, the speculation is up to three hours from the city they grew up in if they want a chance to buy a home, if they have like good income, like this is just, this isn't going to work. It's breaking people. And it's, it's tragic because you shouldn't have to go three hours away from your entire support system and everything that, you know, is creating your own home in the city you love simply because there is a few people that have thousands of properties and so many other people don't want the magic number on, you know, their pocketbook that they're never really going to sell when it's perfect. Like that's not going to happen is just going up and down. It's so speculative and there's such a fucking cost here, man. Like I just, we need the big changes and there isn't an appetite for it. So, you know, the only other alternative is maybe, a huge increase in wages, like unless there is, yeah. you know, a real I push mean, to the give people that. Is, you know, people are like, we're just going to build more and look, building more is part of it. Like, I know that's Paul Evra's argument uh, is that, you know, local governments have made it too hard to build. And in some cases, that's probably true, but it's not going to be the main solution, right? Like, yeah. su- supply is not going to solve this issue. Not any one thing is going to solve it. Even higher wages are not necessarily going to solve it. Because even if wages rise 20%, which is a lot, of course, Mm -hmm. if wages rise 20%, you know, house prices have risen way more than that. But wages aren't going to quintuple. They're not. (laughs) Like, that's just not going to happen. You know, um, the wages, the minimum wage will not rise. Whether we think it should, the minimum wage will not be $30, $45 anytime soon. Right? Um, And so, um, yeah, there's no one solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 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 issue is that most parties, most politicians, are not willing to take on like the entire suite of problems. Pierre Polyevre might be able to say, "I want to build more because that serves his kind of like you know capitalist mindset." Uh, probably gets him a lot of developer support, developer donations, things like that. But is he also going to be willing to like take on um, you know uh, parasitic landlords, big and small, <laughs> and in between? That are also playing a part in driving up the price. We know the answer is no. Right? We He's know not going to do social, no. socialist democratic uh, housing no. policies? No, no way. Of course, no, of course not, right? <laughs> so he's going to build more and they might be able to point to some examples in some neighborhoods where extra properties have led to some lower prices. But of course it creates issues because um, housing is not one market, but it's many, uh, many markets, not just on a geographical basis. Of course, uh, yeah. an extra house in Toronto does not on its own lower housing prices in St. John's, Newfoundland, but even within cities, an extra luxury condo doesn't necessarily have an effect on every section of the housing market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Man, yeah. I, I do wonder how it relates to like so many things that, that we deal with in our current capitalist moment right now in 2022, where you have things like part-time jobs that maybe at one point in time were representative of people that wanted flexibility, that maybe it was a lot of young people that were just entering the job market and were going to different sort of jobs and you had people working them and it worked. It could provide that. But of course, as we know now, it's just a replacement for an actual full-time job that gives you benefits, that allows you to have security, that is now one person getting a good job and benefits is, you know, maybe two or three people who are of every sort of age and need economically that are filling that role. And I do feel like renting for a long time was almost presented in that same way. Like I rented in Toronto for almost 15 years and it was kind of presented as, you know, you're a young person, you're going to move around and change. But this is another example, I think, of how that dynamic has changed so dramatically. And you are essentially guaranteed that unless you have, you know, the top 10% of jobs in the city of Toronto, you cannot own a property there. 
and you're no. you ha- that means you have to it's rent for the rest money, of your life. Right? It's gonna yeah. be family money. You've seen some of these like HGTV shows. Oh Jesus, yeah. We haven't watched them as much. We don't have cable anymore. But we used to watch them, and like you know, house prices were ridiculous in Toronto seven eight years ago when we watched these shows. But like, of course, it's gotten even crazier since. But still, you'd see like, oh, I'm a teacher and and I'm a an accountant. And we're going to go buy our first house for $900,000. And I'm like, there's no fucking way. Like, I know accountants can make good money sometimes, but, like, they're not making six hundred k a year, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. like, there's no fucking way these, like, 220-something, you know, middle-class professionals are buying an $800,000 house. And so very clearly, it's like mommy and daddy are yeah. helping them out, right? Like, I'm sure that they're going to be able to pay the mortgage, but you know, because it's less than rent, of course, yeah, they'd be able to. Exactly. They're already paying that no, much, <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, they're not going to be able to build that down payment, right? And yeah. so, yeah, it, it's it's creating it's creating a real uh, a real issue. Like, people have talked a lot about this. One of the things is that like you're going to see the in some ways the greatest wealth transfer in human history as boomers re- retire and pass away and leave money to their relatives, right? They're mm-hmm. going to see a big wealth transfer because the boomers got so much of it. And the boomers were a big, you know, generational cohort, but not everyone has boomer parents that had money. And so it's going to create, especially, you know, maybe a, a, you know, 10, 15, 20% of the population that get left a very good hand, whether it's an actual house or whether it's the money to buy a house. But if you're not, you know, somebody who had, you know, well-off parents who maybe bought that house in, you know, in North York in 1972 or whatever, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, became millionaires because of it, yeah. you didn't have that. Well, then you're going to be in a fundamentally different class position than somebody who works the same job. Like in many ways in Canada, class still exists and class is multifaceted. It's not purely economic. It's also cultural and, mm-hmm. and, and intellectual and and how you present yourself and all of that. We do yeah. a whole episode on like what class is and isn't. But, you know, income is a metric of class and so is like what your job is. But we're increasingly coming to a point where like, you know, two people can have like, a, one person can have a more definitively higher class, for lack of a better term, job. But you know, lack uh, the ability to own property because the other person who has a more quote unquote lower class job was left a property or the means to acquire one from a relative, right? And mm-hmm. it creates this like disconnect, right? You know, somebody who makes minimum wage or slightly above it could conceivably have a property in Toronto, whereas somebody who's maybe pulling in seventy thousand dollars a year does not. You know, and that's always and that's, existed, but now yeah. because the metrics are what they are, it yeah. is an explosion twenty-two times. Yeah. Right? The only thing yeah. we can hope for. It used to be is, the case that if you made if you made the, the, the whatever the the inflationary equivalent is of seventy-five thousand, which again is a lot of money still. It's far more than the average Canadian makes, and that's somewhat close in many places to what the family makes. Yeah. Um, you'd be able to afford a property. Even you know, mm-hmm. you'd be able to afford a property. You know what you could afford and how long you'd have to wait would depend on where you lived. Now that's not the case, right? It, it's not. Yeah. Let, let's hope, though, that the, just these boomers decide to sell their property out before they die and just go move to, like, Florida and fritter it all away or something like that, you know? Like, maybe that is the key that this wealth doesn't actually transition and they don't care about, you know, their their offspring and their, their legacy in that way. And then maybe the government has to do something bold and, and big because the one side of this that we haven't even talked about that if you are not making because, you know, real, the real estate market is what it is. If you are not making an obscene amount of money, then the only access to mortgages that you have are not the ones that are possibly secure and will fluctuate and, of course, lead to the housing crisis and, you know, the recessions that we saw that nearly uh, toppled the entire globe. Like, you are not able to even begin to get a good mortgage here in Canada unless you make an amount of money that is just not accessible to most Canadians. So it's another tier in which, you know, having wealth even if you want to do this, even if you, you're ready and you think you can, the only way you can get close to maybe a property you can afford is through a, a mortgage that doesn't have the security that you would need and would fluctuate and cause the same sort of problems that we saw during the housing crisis. So it is just, you know, you're, you're screwed every single way unless you're incredibly lucky. The only thing 
that I think we have to not look forward to because this will lead to calamity is the fact that this is a bubble and these prices can't continue at this lockstep. There, there is no way that it can, can go from, you know, these percentages year after year after year. The increase over, you know, a three year period is just is just too much. But as we saw, when those bubble pops, when that bubble does pop, the people that get hurt the most are, are not the ones that bought their home and were able to, you know, take advantage of all of these little treats that the government does for people that already can buy homes. It's people that you know, we're extended and trying to push for that or people that, you know, in some ways are in service to that debt in in some way that, you know, lose jobs and, and are, are many cases die because of that. Like when, uh, you know, we the employment rate goes down, people die and it's just it's horrific. And it's kind of like when we talk about climate change here on the show, you know, Christo, like yeah. how many years have people explained to us, you know, experts have explained that unless you do something drastic yesterday, this is not something you can fix yep. and no politician is willing to do that. This we're getting the same warning signs yep. of, of a different existential threat of, you know, the basis of our entire economy collapsing and no politician is willing to make big, bold moves. So like, yeah. well, and like with <sighs> climate change, the people who, um, who benefit most from the status quo are probably the least likely to be hurt by it in some ways. Yeah. Right? Like, like we know, like globally with climate change, like we, we like, look, we're, we're all ultimately potentially affected, especially if you're younger and, and all of that. But like, you know, people in Canada, we were not expected to have as devastating an effect as many people in say the developing world in some kind, whether it's floods, whether it's the, the heat, whether it's, it's any of that fundamentally the people that will suffer are typically the people with the lowest carbon footprints. And so in some ways, the people that are suffering greatest from the housing crisis are the people that are already, mar you know, marginalized. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's perverse and it creates a scenario where again, the people that benefit from the status quo and are least likely to be harmed by the degradation from that status quo just happen to be the people with the power and are probably less likely to want to change it because they either don't see the harm coming to themselves or they consider that the, the harm will be worth the current benefits, you know, in the here and now. Yep. It's oh, pretty, pretty grim. It, it is pretty grim. The only thing, you know, and I think we, we talk about this a lot is that the hope is that there are enough people that are, are facing this calamity. There are enough people that are in the situations that we're speaking of that do want a better tomorrow, that do want a more equitable society. And, and like, I think you and I that don't need our house to go up on this magical number because we're not fucking selling and we think that's ludicrous anyway. We would much rather have, you know, people have homes than, you know, this magical number going up. I think there's enough people who are in that position that when the times get tough, I I, I think th I'm hope at least there, there will be a rising voice demanding that big change. And I think right now it's a good idea to demand big changes from the Canadian housing market, you know, world leading changes, even if it falls on deaf ears, you know, you don't need to accept the um, compromise position here, just like you don't need to accept the compromise position on climate change. It's okay to want something dramatic and drastic because the situation calls for it. And yeah, I think there's going to be enough people like always when we talk about these things that that will have a strong enough voice to come together. And there are a lot of great things, you know, like community land trusts and, you know, co-ops in Toronto. I know we're phenomenal that are hard to get into, but really did help so many different people. And, you know, that is a solution. Those are more community based solutions. But, you know, it is doom and gloom, but don't let it burn you out. Let it radicalize you and and you know, start screaming at the people that deserve it. We'll post the link to this this passage article uh, from last year, and you can see if your elected official is a landlord. I don't know if, I don't think mine is. What about yours, Christo? Mine is, yeah. Mark oh. Gerritsen is a landlord. Yeah, yeah. His family, it's a, uh, Kingston has a very large kind of landlord class. 
I think in part because we have you know the the Queen's University and the Royal Military College and St. Lawrence College. It's a it's you know it's a university town yeah. and it creates like um uh the reality is that um you know a lot of local politicians do. It's almost like at the provincial municipal level we you know there's no parties in Ontario like at least officially we don't have uh, municipal parties like they do in say BC. Um but in Kingston, it's like there's the there's the uh, developer class, which are mostly like the conservatives and the right wing liberals. And then you have like the community class in some ways, which are kind of like left leaning liberals, uh, New Democrats and Greens. Right. And it kind yeah. of creates that that class of politician. And so our current MP, his family is like, you know, uh, that, that's one of the, 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 the th roles they've played in the community. They they own they own property, uh, although I don't know how much. There we go. All right, folks. Well, I think, you know, we, we talked a lot about this this week and we're, we're filling up the hour. So I, I think that's, that's going to be it for us. Uh, we have just surpassed our one year of shows. I think a little more than that. And we really appreciate everyone that's listened in and, you know, become a part of our, our little community on discord. Uh, I'm doing a little call out now because I, I really would like to hear from y'all uh, if there's anything that you really liked about the show, maybe something you really didn't, something that you want us to talk about in the future, you know, this is designed to be a program where we can listen to other people like-minded or not that that have this uh, persuasion in Canada and, and want to hear about, you know, issues from a leftist perspective. So I want to hear from you, Christo and I do, head to either on Twitter at Left Turn Canada or lefttorncanada at gmail.com. Send us a message. Everything's open. And uh, yeah, we want to listen and, uh, you know, maybe feature it or include it on the show because, you know, kind of like what we're talking about today, if there isn't kind of a community response where people can come together, then the feelings of isolation and nihilism against these forces are just too overwhelming. You know, whether it's climate change, this housing market that's designed to destroy you, like it is just too much. So we wanna make something that reflects the things that are important to you. Uh, anything else, Christo, before we close it out? Hope everyone's doing great. Uh, have a good week. Um, and uh, make sure to find those uh, rich, long lost uncles. You can buy your house. <laughs>